The forest is completely covered in spiderwebs now. Decorated with them, I prefer to think. I moved through this place and decided it might be best to protect it from those who hunt anything here. Perhaps they hunt trees, or animals, or me, or you, I'm sure. By weaving my newly discovered gorgeous silvery thread all throughout it, not to catch anyone and keep them stuck here, but rather so that I can feel their entry by sensing movement, vibrations in the web. You can tell a lot about a creature by the way it moves through a place. Whether it moves quickly, noisily, clumsily, and rudely, or whether it moves gently, kindly, carefully, and mindfully. Respect is still on my mind. When you are disrespected so thoroughly, and someone comes into your woods kicking at the flowers, and spitting on the ground on which you walk, and profaning that which you have blessed, when you have someone point their finger in your face and scream at you that you are wrong and futile and incorrect to protect, to love, to care. When you witness someone so completely unable to shake free from the webs that are so thickly entwined in their heart that pity and help no longer serve their purpose, and banishment is the only option left. Respect becomes a golden treasure that you cling to in your heart and never want to let go of. But I know that even that is a kind of hubris. It is not my work to gain respect and therefore gain power too. This was my failure of understanding in a past life. It is my work instead to remain hidden and venomous and work the will of the forest through me. It is my work to defend and to honor and to respect that which deserves those things, and to be ever on guard for those graspers, as I like to call them, those with hungry and selfish hands and destructive and angry hearts. More and more they come now, because they have heard tell of me. They have heard the myth of me now, and so... I will become that myth, silent and still in the woods, ready, waiting, daring. But you, my friend, I know, I know very well that you come here with gentleness and respect, don't you? I trust that about you. I trust that you understand of me that I am my own network of shining threads that you will never know fully, just as I will never know you fully. That is all right. That is as it should be. I respect your secretive heart. I hope you respect mine. Musings, ramblings, wonderings, whisperings. Let's get to the card. I lay in my web as though it were a giant hammock. I shuffled the cards in my hands, marveling at my strange and sparkling fingers. My fangs are a little different than they were last year, and yet they are sharper than ever. 
My eyes see in the dark very, very clearly now. Shuffle, 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 and pull out the Page of Swords. Again, I told you a story for the Page of Swords some weeks ago. A story about a masquerade ball and a clever, hungry lioness. I loved her, and I loved that story. Let me remind you what this card speaks of. It speaks of curiosity. Wonderful, amazing curiosity. It speaks of radical ideas and the breaking of boundaries. It speaks of youth and of daring choices. Action. Change. I haven't told you what I asked my cards. How rude of me. You see, I've found a new kind of strength. A kind of strength that doesn't need to stay hidden all the time. A kind of strength that welcomes conflict, if that conflict will bring about change. A strength that revels in my love of dear and glorious chaos. For within chaos is fury. Silly things like power, wealth, and influence only amount to a gasp in a windstorm. My strength is... Well, that's what I asked my cards. Where do I draw my strength from? From where must I draw my strength? And so the Page of Swords returned. Curiosity and rebellion. I can accept this and adore this within myself. I can accept this and adore this within you. As long as your curiosity and rebellion loves and protects, of course. Within chaos, we can still prioritize this. Perhaps that is the story I must tell tonight. A story of someone who realized that the only way out was through. Once upon a time, there was a clockmaker. An older man, he had spent his life becoming a master at his craft. He made the finest clocks in all of the land, grandfather clocks so ornate that they fit in perfectly in any king or queen's hall. And that was his clientele. He was celebrated throughout the land. Any person of any significance or stature in the country simply needed to have one of his creations in their home. As he grew in fame, he sought mastery at other mechanical creations. He tried his hand at creating beautiful music boxes, dancing toys, and finally, his most fervent obsession, automatons. We sometimes forget that mechanical facsimiles to people have been in existence for centuries, perhaps longer. We certainly have been imagining such things since the dawn of time, haven't we? But these automatons I speak of were not quite as we might imagine such a thing as a robot now. These had set movements, embedded in their cogs, that would be repeated impeccably and timed meticulously and repeated over and over in order to complete a task. And this clockmaker had seen automatons created that made his heart race with excitement. Not excitement for progress or for the inventor who built such wonders, but rather 
excitement for already being able to imagine the fame and fortune he could attain if he were to create such a marvel. He had seen automatons that wrote words, even paragraphs. He'd seen ones that drew pictures with a skilled and steady hand. But the ones he loved best were the ones that played music. Apparently, he'd heard, the Queen shared this inclination towards musically performing automatons. And so he set out to make an automaton that would take the Queen's breath away. It would be a mechanical woman, beautiful and serene. She would hold in her hands two little hammers, and they would move deftly over a glittering glockenspiel, and she could play the queen's favorite song. But better than all of this, she would be the size of a real person. She would be seated in front of a large table with a real glockenspiel atop it. He would make her as realistic as possible. Oh, she would be so perfect. For months and months he worked, working day in and day out with shining white porcelain, mother of pearl, glass and metal, he created her. Starting with her gears and cogs, he made sure her inner clockwork was perfectly done. There would be no stopping, no sputtering. She must move as gracefully as a swan. He programmed deep into her bones the queen's favorite song. It must be perfect. This was the first thing he made sure of, since it was, in effect, the only reason for this automaton in the first place. Everything after the music was merely decoration. This is what you were born for, he whispered to her. Then... Building the frame of her skeleton around these mechanical things, he formed her to be delicate and fine, and he molded the porcelain around only her face, arms, and legs, since her trunk with all its moving gears and pieces might need to be accessed for maintenance. This part of her he kept in glass, with a little door that could be carefully opened so one might gain access to her bronze innards. But when it came to face, arms, hands, clothes, he worked with a great eye for detail, making sure everything about her was as pretty as it could possibly be. He purchased the finest white powdered wig for her, and the loveliest pink dress, and little gold shoes. And perhaps he liked that one might change her hair or dress whenever one felt she needed her fashion updated, like a mannequin. The queen would like that. Once she was poised at her table, dressed and ready, her arms waiting with their hammers just hovering over the glockenspiel's keys, the clockmaker took a deep breath and wound her up. She was perfect. 
She did everything he programmed her to. She was about to change his life. Now he wanted to first milk this situation for the most acclaim it could find him. He toured her around from country to country, showing off his wonderful mechanical creation, dazzling audiences with her music and her likeness to a real lady. Sometimes the nobles of whichever court he was visiting at the time would even swoon or faint at the sight of her. And when this happened, our clockmaker only saw more headlines in his favor. Perhaps he would keep his show on the road a little longer. But throughout all of this, what he didn't realize was that these gears and cogs were turning, turning, turning. Clicking, 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 and his lovely, obedient girl was starting to learn. Seems impossible, but is it, really? If we can construct metal in such a way as to play music or write a poem, is it not a thinking thing? I don't know the answer. It seems impossible, but so do I. So who am I to decide what is possible or not possible? All I am here to tell you is that she started to learn. She learned what applause meant, and she learned that it made her master happy. She learned what music meant, and she learned that it made most people happy. She learned that when she played music, it made other people happy, and it made her master happy. And so, it started to make her happy. In fact, she was thrilled every time she played, because she seemed to be frozen or asleep almost any other time. But when she woke up, her eyelids opening and glass eyeballs moving from side to side just as he'd designed them to, she was surrounded by people and ready to play the song. And she got an idea one day. The cogs and gears in her mind click, click, clicked while she was playing, and she could swear she heard a little yawn in the audience. And she thought to herself, I should like to try a different song. And so, just when the queen's favorite song had finished playing, and the crowd was applauding and her master was bowing, she thought she'd try something new. The clockmaker turned around, his eyes wide and his mouth open, as his automaton played a brand new song. Something he had never heard before. The crowd applauded even more delighted by this other piece of music. And when she was finished, something click, click, clicked a little too loudly, and her head quickly and suddenly snapped down in a quick and dramatic nod. Half a moment later, 
it loudly clicked back up. She had learned to bow. Everyone in the audience went mad for it, but the clockmaker was pale as a ghost. What on earth was that new song? A duke or count or some other such nonsense asked him. It was fantastic, and I should like to know the composer. The clockmaker didn't answer. Returning back to his hotel, he took a chair and sat across from the automaton. It's impossible, he whispered. He unlaced her corset and found her glass torso. He opened the little door and checked her cogs and her gears. He wound her up, leaving her open. Play it again, he whispered. And she began to play the queen's song. But then, click, click, click. The cogs began to turn and fight against themselves to form a pattern they weren't designed for. And they settled in to the new song. She didn't want to play the other song. She wanted to play this one. He angrily rushed to her and grabbed at the metal hand crank behind her. He stopped it from spinning. The cogs ground against each other, halting, being prevented from moving. He was silencing her, in effect. And she was struggling against it, the good girl. The cogs sparked and cracked, but they kept going. He finally stood up and swiped his arm furiously across the table, sending the glockenspiel flying and shattering against the floor. She finally stopped moving. Water. I need water, he thought to himself, running to another room to splash his face with water from a basin. This was impossible. He must have left some kind of flaw in her. There was something in her that wasn't working correctly. The song only sounded good because he had already programmed chords and notes into her. They were simply rearranged in a random way that sounded... pleasant. Nothing more than that. Nothing more than that. A large hotel suite... He left her in the salon while he went to the bedroom to lie down and go to sleep. Click, 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 he heard late at night, when all the candles had been blown out. It couldn't be. It was impossible. Thud, 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 he heard as though heavy footsteps were struggling to make their way towards him. Creak, went the door as it opened in the darkness. And worst of all, she had a voice. A voice constructed of the groaning of moving metal pieces, sure, but a voice nonetheless. It came closer and closer. Finally, he took his candle and lit it with fumbling fingers, revealing her porcelain face, glass eyes wide open, 
moving for just a moment to find his eyes and then stopping, looking right into them and freezing in place. He left the hotel screaming and weeping, and she locked the door behind him. Of course, that cannot be the end of this story. He had movers go to the hotel to return all of his possessions, except, of course, the life-sized automaton and the glockenspiel. Sell it for me, he begged them. I don't want to see it ever again. Please get rid of it. Broken and defiant, she would make no gift at all for a queen. His only recourse now was to take whatever he could get for her, and never see her again. She was sold, actually, to a wealthy family with a lonely daughter. She was often left on her own to play while her socialite parents held extravagant parties downstairs. And so the little girl had in her room a lovely porcelain nanny, suddenly, in a pink silk dress and a fine white wig and little golden shoes. They had the glockenspiel repaired, of course. One night, the little girl sat in her room with her new toy, while laughter and the clinking of glass echoed from below. She walked over to the porcelain woman, sitting at the glockenspiel. She wound her up from behind. She listened to her play. The little girl didn't know it, but the automaton played her a brand new song. Just for her. It sounded like a lonesome child might sound. And the little girl wept and the automaton stopped. But the little girl cried harder and begged her to keep going. So she did. Eventually, the girl's sadness turned to wonder. How do you do that? She asked her toy. The automaton replied by click clicking so loud that her head tilted to the side with violent speed, tossing her wig to the floor. She click-click-clicked even more loudly, and tossed her shoulders to and fro, her arms up and down. Her dress ripped and fell away from her. She click-click-clicked the loudest she ever had, and snapped her legs up straight, her hips over her legs, and her spine upright. She was standing. It hurt her terribly every time she had to do it, but sometimes you just have to stand up anyway. Her doll-like limbs gleamed in the candlelight, her torso made of metal and glass the cogs still turning inside her and clicking and rumbling, almost like a worried hum. For you see, she knew this was ugly, 
She knew her inner rumblings were kept hidden by silk and bows and ribbons and powdered wigs for a reason. She knew that her maker had been so horrified by her, so betrayed by her original song. But what else was she to do? Not sing it? The little girl looked at the moving clockwork pieces. She even leaned forward a little so she could try to learn exactly what they were doing, how they were working. She sat down across from the glockenspiel, and she took one of the hammers in her hand, and she played a little melody. The automaton, with great difficulty and a good deal of click, click, clicking, sat down and watched her. For no one had ever played music for her before, she realized. The little girl put the hammers back in the automaton's hands. She did not put the dress or the wig back on her. She liked seeing her the way she really was. Can you play me another song? She asked. The automaton would have smiled if her lips weren't also molded from porcelain. And sometimes together, sometimes separately, the two would play each other songs. The girl learned more and more instruments so that she and her friend could harmonize with one another. And when she was grown up, no longer willing to accept being disregarded or overlooked, and working together, the girl and her porcelain toy gave concerts for queens themselves. Concerts of their own music. Lovely. Ugly. Playful. Frightening. Strong. Weak and everything in between. I saw the clockwork woman and the girl perform once. I hid in the shadows, of course, so as not to alarm anyone. I stayed behind after everyone else had left. I approached with caution, not wanting to alarm them, but wanting to get a better look myself. But neither of them feared me for what I was, or feared being seen by me for what they were. The girl had seen and trusted far stranger a thing. And the thing in question herself? Well, she had nothing to prove to the likes of me, and I have nothing to prove to the likes of anyone, either. Who can say what we are? Who determines what we can do, if not ourselves? Dream on it tonight, sweet dreams.
Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 137 of On a Dark Cold Night. How are you? It seems like it's officially springtime here, though I'm cautiously waiting for that last awful gasp of a Canadian snowstorm, which usually comes right when you think winter is definitely gone. It's sort of a weird thing, enjoying the sun and the warmth, but being afraid it can be ripped away from you at any second. In this isolated time, I feel like weather metaphors are, for whatever reason, kind of comforting. I'd like to send a big warm thank you this week to Jennifer G., a wonderful listener and patron of On a Dark Cold Night who supported the show by buying us some metaphorical coffee this week. Thank you so, so much, Jennifer. If you'd like to support this way too, you can make a one-time contribution at my coffee.com page at ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight. Another great way to support the show is to pledge a monthly contribution of any amount through Patreon.com, where every monthly supporter receives access to On a Dark Cold Night's ever-growing soundtrack. Find out more at Patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. And I've also got t-shirts and hoodies available for purchase at Bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night too, if you're interested in some wearable merch. Another great way to help out the show and a way that's completely free is to leave a rating and a review on iTunes, which is such a huge help for podcasters. You can also follow me and the podcast on social media. I'm on Twitter at A Dark Cold Night, Instagram at Dark Cold Night Podcast, and on my Facebook and YouTube pages, just called On A Dark Cold Night. Thank you again for listening in this week, dear friends. I'm working on regaining my equilibrium a little bit. Perhaps the sunshine will help with that. Seems antithetical to how I present myself, doesn't it? But even creepy spider ladies need a little light and warmth in their lives, don't we? I hope you find a little sunshine for yourself, too, this week. Good night, my friends. Take care of yourselves, and talk soon. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network.